transforming touch of God is what I'm going to talk about this morning, the transforming touch of God. And when we think about it, I'm thinking about uh, how complex the heart really is, the complexity of the heart. Our hearts are such that if you really want to think about it, our hearts really depict the storyline of our lives, comprised of past experiences and all the things that we might have gone through in life. It is expressed through our hearts. And, and uh, I like the scripture that talks about how we don't even know our own hearts because the heart can be of such that it can be deceitful. And then the Bible says not only can the heart be deceitful, but the heart is also desperately wicked. So who can know his own heart, his own heart? But not only that, oftentimes we give expression to our hearts not even knowing that we're doing that. We're sharing some things, and we think that we have camouflaged what we really feel, but our hearts will express those things that are hidden there. And we think about it, what has happened, those things that are within the hearts have entered in over years, throughout the years, didn't just happen. But you think about the construct of the heart over the years, the things that you've been exposed to, the things that you have done, you had done, things that were done to you. All of those things have a way of affecting your heart. And we don't even always recognize it as such, but do you realize that you are, you are the way you are because of the things that you had experienced in life? In fact, we begin to think about it. We talk about the mindset of an individual, the mindset. You come in here with a mindset, and as you're hearing the word of the Lord, that is that filter by which whatever you're hearing, it is filtered through. And then we have what is called a predisposition. A predisposition means that uh, the person, even when they're hearing, uh, because of that mindset, you say, well, this is how I perceive what you're saying. And another person will say, well, this is how I perceive what you're saying. But it could be totally opposite of what the other believe because of how an individual will be so predisposed based upon the condition of their hearts that they make what's called judgments, and sometimes those judgments can be prejudgments. They can be before uh, the, 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 the information is fully uh, attained or communicated. And with that, there's a tendency of misreading intentions and engage, and when you misread intentions, people oftentimes get involved in what's called self-preservation, uh, and they try to defend themselves or I would, I would say this way, using defense mechanisms to cover. So uh, I was thinking as I was sitting here and the importance of communicating the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because uh, it's not just words that are spoken, but the Lord's objective is to share His heart with you. That's what this time is really all about. The Lord wants us to know His heart. He wants us to know what's on his heart and, 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 and understand what God has to do. Uh, it is, it, 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 which, which comes from the heart touches the heart. So I can say one thing and one way, 
and it doesn't affect you. And somebody else said the same thing that I said, but this time it can have such an impact upon your life that you say, well, that was a life-changing word. And you say, well, he said the same thing. He said the same thing the other person said. But why would it be a life-changing word when it's communicated through one person when the other person, it was just, just, just wasted communication? The difference is that which was said by the person that made an impact upon your life, you sensed that it came from his or her heart. You sensed that. It could have been, the other person could have been uh, uh, serious. They could have been sincere. But you perceived it to be from the heart. So we talk about the predispositions and the mindset and all the other things, the judgments that we make. So, so I pray today that even as I minister, I, I'm asking you to hear my heart. Hear my heart. Hear what God has placed upon my heart to say to you. And I pray that it will bring about this transformation that we're seeking this year. Uh, one of the things that the gospel does the gospel provides for us awareness. That's what the gospel does. We hear the word of the Lord. There were things that you were unaware of, or suppose when we really hear the gospel, I'm talking about, not just a sermon, but it, bring, it provides awareness, exposes to us the secrets of the heart. Because what happens, it says the Lord knows our heart. There can be a message that will be directly addressing a situation that you are either going through, you have been through, or you're about to go through. And I've had it said many times. They say, Who, who's been talking to the preacher? He said, somebody must have told him because it looked like he was preaching at me, at me. He was talking about me and throwing his message at me. But understand what the Lord does. I don't care how many people would gather together in this place. The Lord has knowledge of each and every one of you and, and, and your heart and your predisposition and your mindset and all the other things that comprise of you thinking the way you think. And he has a way of addressing us as if you are the only person sitting in this room. So in other words, what God does when he's speaking at one, he's speaking one at one instance, but he is tailor-making the message so that it perfectly fits into your situation. That's what God does. He says, I'm, in other words, he is saying, verily, verily, I say unto you. He didn't say, I say unto y'all. I say it unto you, such and such. He said, because I'm talking to you. So we want to pass it off to somebody else. Well, it must be for this person. It must be for that person. No, the Lord said, no, no. I am speaking specifically, directly to you because what happens? I know your heart. I know your heart. And my message is to be imparted to you so that your heart can align all the more with my heart. So it brings about awareness and exposes the secrets of the heart. But then when you get to a place where if the Word is doing all of that, there are many who will begin to shy away from the message because when God gets that person with us, that he begins to expose particular things or specific things that reside within our hearts, then it's the tendency of wanting to run away. 
That's too personal. That's too personal. That's something I look at, Lord. You can have all the other rooms, but don't go into that room. Because now you're, now you're, you're really in my, in my business. You're really hitting that nerve, striking that nerve that's sensitive within my life. And, and, and then when you shy away, oftentimes it's because of shame. Uh, and, and, and oftentimes thought the intent spoken will be contrary to the, 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 uh, what is really being shared or offered. Here's a Hebrews chapter 4, very familiar passage, 4.12. It says, for the Word of God is living, number one, and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And then that word, piercing, even to the division of soul and spirit, look at how precise, accurate the word is, even to the division of soul and spirit, and joint and marrow, and then it goes on to say, and is. Now, the word is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So, it begins to divide thoughts from intents so that you would say, well, this is what I intended to say or do. But he said, but these are the thoughts that came to mind when you were trying to articulate it in such a way to make it say what you really wanted to say. But understand, but I didn't just listen to your intents. I saw the thoughts that you tried to process before you spoke. I saw those thoughts that came into your mind. And some of those thoughts came from other sources, when he talks about the thoughts, thoughts in the mind aren't always godly thoughts. And you say, I didn't intend to think this, but God says the Word of God understands not only your intent, but also the thoughts that come to mind, thoughts that you have coming to mind on a regular basis. And then he says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Bible says that we must give an account for every word that's spoken, but understand, but it's how we process the word that's given. You see, we must give an account because if God has spoken his word, then he is saying, I've given you the blueprint, I've given you the direction, I've given you a message, and since you've been given a message, you're responsible for the message that I have in fact, uh, conveyed to you. Now, I like, I think it might have been Sherry, whoever helped with my, my, my meditations, devotions, when we did the publication. We, Praise God, thank you, some years ago when you helped you. I like the title. I didn't title that, but one of our, it might have been Sherry or someone that titled it, Words That Awaken the Soul. And I said it couldn't have been a better title than that, Words That Awaken the Soul, because I thought about it and I thought about how a, a message can alert and give attention to a particular thing. It, it, it can, sometimes it can trigger interest in a particular area uh, so that when, and that's what devotions and meditations ought to do. When you read them, uh, it ought to uh, trigger interest and direct your attention toward a particular, in a particular direction. And, and, and with that, the question is, we remember when we first got saved, you know how hungry we were, and, and, and I trust you were. 
uh, for, for the things of God and how you held on to every word that God was speaking and how all of these things were happening within your life. The question is, does it do the same today as it did in those particular days? Are we still as hungry, as hungry and as eager to hear what God has to say as we once were? So the heart, the heart, the heart has to do with hearing. Look at this word, hear, heart, H-E-A-R, hear, and put a T on it. What is that? Then we say heart. But I'm showing you the, the connection between uh, heart and hearing. One letter added to the word of hearing. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of God. But then you put one letter to that and you have the word heart. So, if you really want to think about it, he's talking about having a hearing heart. Do you realize you can hear with your heart? And I begin to look at how can one hear with his heart? I put that T now. I'm thinking about that, that letter T, T. To tend or to cultivate. You see, when you tend for something, you're cultivating it, that letter T. So, so when I tend to the Word, I'm cultivating the Word. I'm meditating upon the Word so that Word can become more real. And, and then you talk about tend to cultivate, and then what it does, there is a degree of ten, tenderness that, that occurs within my life. And then it happens over time. It happens over time. So the Word that I receive today might not have had the same impact as it would tomorrow. But as I meditate, then the same word I heard yesterday or, or today, now it takes on a different meaning because I've meditated on it. I, I have, you see, I'm, I'm more open. The situations in life have made me tender, tender, so that now my heart is more open to receive like never before. And then another word, another T at the heart is time. It happens over time. He said, I, 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 you might have said, I hear you, but the Lord said, did you really hear me? Did you really hear me? Did this really impact your life? Did it really reach that place that's deep within you? Did you really hear me? Hearing with the heart, hearing with the heart, to hear with the whole heart uh, means giving yourself over to one. What am I saying? I'm giving myself to God. I'm giving myself to the person. I'm, I'm, he said, I like when he said, lend me your ears. I'm giving you my full attention. That's what he's really saying. I'm giving you my full attention because I'm interested in knowing and hearing what you have to say. So now, let's look at this for a moment. The Bible talks about, uh, uh, it talks about hearing the heart, and understand the heart, having a heart of love, and understand that love flows from the heart. It is the heart of God expressed to us, and as a result of God's love being expressed to us, our hearts are transformed, and we're brought to the place of being able to express His heart. And, and, and then I begin to think about even in the Garden of Eden, and we're going to talk about that. I always like to go back to the beginnings. Look at what He did. He brought man into the garden and told him to tend the garden care for it. In other words, I want your heart and your hand involved in the process. As you're tending the garden, I want you to be fully engaged in tending the garden. Don't just pass by and just go by and say, oh, it'll be all right. No, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to pay close attention to what's out there 
so that you're tending the garden. Make sure that if, if there's something in there, what is needed in the garden, make sure you provide it. If it, need, if it must be weeded out, get rid of all the weeds. Because now with your tender care, I'm getting rid of all the weeds. If there are weeds here, pull up those weeds. Because understand, those weeds can be uh, counterproductive. So what are we doing? So in other words, we talk about when your heart is involved, you will tend what you love. You will take care of what you love. So understand what he's saying to us here. That, that's, that's tender care. So, so now uh, God is saying, I'm not expecting of you anything that I'm not willing to do myself. <laughs> because God said, the way I want you to take to the garden is the way I take care of you. What I expect you to do in the garden is what I'm doing and what I will continue to do for you. He said, I am God. I'm the God who is there, and, and I'm taking care of you. I'm, I, I'm overseeing you. I'm making sure that all the provisions are, are, are there for you, that whatever you need, I'm, I'm, I'm helping you, I'm assisting you, I'm your God. And, 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 and what I want you to know is that I want you to always be aware of my presence and my existence. I want you to be in a place, you, he talked to him in the cool of the day, that was communication on a regular basis, you, you see. So, so as a result of that, he was there to fulfill the deepest, the deepest longings within the soul of man. Are you saying this? The things within the heart and soul of man were being met by God because of his tender care. And God's care for man was really him expressing his heart to man. That was God's expression of heart. He said, I'm going to show you how much I love you. Because just look at how much I, look at how I take care of you. Look at how I, look at how I provide for you. Look at all the things that I've done for you. He says, so now what happens? Now what I expect you to do is communicate back to me. As a result of what you receive from me, I want you to communicate back to me. And that's called worship. That's called worship. I love what we were doing a while ago. He says, so you worship me. It is a response to, to, to what we see of God, his response of what God has done, his response of what God has, in fact, provided, it, it culminates into worship. What you see, now the problem is we must always acknowledge him. We must acknowledge him. When you think you already know what you, when you think you already know about life and uh, what you, th you think you already understand particular things, it becomes a hindrance to your becoming acquainted with the source of life. So as we grow, and this is what happens, we begin to see Adam uh, in, in, in his creative state, and then we begin to see mankind and humanity, even to this day, as we grow and mature older, our attitude towards life in general ought to, we ought to have a deeper understanding of life in general. We ought to not take things for granted because God has provided. God is our provider. We don't take things for granted. And, and, and we, we, things that we used to give very little thought and attention to, now we begin, we ought to pay more attention. That was more in the garden that, uh, than Adam, let's say, had come to realize. Yes, he said, you can, have, you can eat from every tree within the garden. But understand, there's a whole lot of stuff in that garden. 
that he could have participated in. He says, but now, Adam, is yours to explore all the benefits that I provided for you. And, and he says, but if you just stay right here, you're going to miss out on all these other things that, that I have for you. So as a result of that, we, we, we begin to look at how we ought to grow. Look at how much God has, we look at what God has, has prohibited. Many times we look at what God has been. God said, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that. And then it looked like our walk with God, that God and his law and, 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 and his, his restrictions are like a straitjacket. You say, I got saved, it looked like I can't do anything. And the Lord said, no, there's much more that's provided for you and opportunities extended to you to engage in than those things, those few things that I prohibited. That's God now. He said, he said, but I want you to do, I want you to be at a place where you begin to appreciate my provisions. In other words, as we are closer to the final days upon this earth, we should breathe deeply into the air that's afforded us as a privilege and not indulgence. That God has given us not only you, a little bit of stuff that we've been thinking about, the air we breathe, the, 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 uh, the, the, the friends that we have, the families that we have, all those things. We, we need to be at a place where we begin to give real serious thought and consideration the older we get because you understand these things are here now, but they're not always going to be this way. It's not going to be this way. So what happens, he wants us to begin to appreciate what God has provided. Now, let, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Adam now. Adam in the garden. And God knew that he was alone, and God knew that he needed companionship. He says, he says, he knew that he needed companionship. So what happened, Adam didn't come up with the idea. God's idea was man should not be alone, but I will make for him a helpmeet, one that's suitable for him. This is God's idea. So now, let's go on. God made Eve, and I, I've talked a lot about that. But then I want to get to this part where it talks about knowing. It says, and then as it continues on, it says, and Adam knew his wife. Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. Now, I began to meditate on that, and God began to give me some insight in relation to that. He says, he says, what does it really mean? He says, he knew his wife and she conceived. He says, he said, Adam, now we talk about the Bible says, we understand says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. But he says, but Adam touched her to touch that he may know. He touched his wife that he may fully know her. In other words, his touch was of such that he, as she was fully exposed to him, bearing her heart completely to him, and him bearing his heart completely to her, then out of that communion, it's not just the physical part of it, but we have looked at the whole story, out of that communion, out of that fellowship, it says, uh, they're bearing one another hearts, telling each other, sharing each other's secrets. There was a deep 
sharing or uh, I would say deep level within the soul that was exposed between the two of them. It was the transparency that existed between Adam and Eve. He says, so Adam knew his wife, but then we begin to understand that touching had to do with uh, intimacy or sexual intimacy, but he knew her and she conceived. Now, let's look at the conception. We know that she bore a son, but birth out of knowing that offspring, uh, uh, knowing, we begin to see the offspring of her knowing was a child, but also that the offspring, that the offspring may grow in wisdom and stature. Do you see what God is saying here? He said, that which is born or brought forth, it is the wisdom of Adam that he had received from who? From God. It was his wisdom that he had received from God. He says, now, what am I going to do? That wisdom now is going to be, it's going to be passed down to his offspring. He said, so that now, as time goes on, the offspring will grow in wisdom and stature and come to know what Adam is coming to know. He said, so now, understand what he's really saying. He said, so now we see that the communication that God and Adam had is now being continued through Adam even to his offspring. But then, but it was not only to Adam, it was to Eve as first of all, and then to the offspring. But then, as a result of the fall, it said that in her childbearing now, that would be pain. And he says, when we talk about pain, we understand that it is the pain in, uh, in, in giving birth to a child but I would also say that there will be pangs, birth pangs, in the, I would say, the birth of vision. Are you saying this? He says what God is wanting to convey, what God is wanting to make known, what God is wanting to give birth to, he said, understand that there will be pain. In other words, your labor. The things that God wants to, I would say, want to produce within ministry. Are you hearing me now? It won't just show up. It won't just overnight just pop up without any struggle. He says, but that which God is desiring of giving birth to will be birthed out of pain. It would be birthed out of pain. In other words, it, it, we understand the childbearing, but also understand that, that it, it illustrates something as well. It is saying that anything that, that God desired to do within the believer, the Bible even talks about how it, it even tells us that even those that desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. That will be things that, that, that will be there to, to oppose and to stand in the way of, of, of that which God desires to bring forth. He said it will come forth as a result of pain. He said, but, but when you bear through that pain, there'll be a new constellation formed out of what has been surrendered because as a result of that pain, God is saying, I'm bringing you to the place of surrender. 
He said, understand, it all takes place. He says, surrender. I want to bring you to a place where you live a surrendered life. God takes what we give him in order to make something much greater than that which existed beforehand. He brought them together, gave birth to a child. He said, but I'm going to produce something, but it's going to be as a result of pain that never existed before. So now, I begin to look at, again, what happens when it comes to soul saving. This is something that God was helping me understand because I, I believe in this day and hour, we, we need to see conversions occur. We need to see lives transformed, not just, not just people coming from one church to another, just joining the church, joining an organization, institution. We need to see lives transformed. We need to see people who are in a place where they were sinners yesterday. God haters yesterday, but God lovers today. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what I'm desirous of. I want to see people, I want to see those hard cases, the people that will say, I will never darken the door of the church. I have nothing to do with believers. I believe, I don't even believe in God. But then what will it take for that person to come to that place of being totally surrendered to God? He says, if you really want to see that, it's going to cost you something. Do you really want to see that? It's going to cost you something. How do people get religion? Now, religion is, be, people think of religion as being a bad word. Religion means, it's just, it really means, it, it, is, a, it is a practice. It, it is a continual practice of a particular thing. But we're talking about those who would be engaged in good religion. What would it, so you see, something had to happen to move them. Something had to happen that moved them within their hearts. That, that, that was something deep within their souls that, that, that God, first of all, he had to, his arresting presence, God had to show up. And then his word, as we mentioned, sh quick, sharper, uh, powerful, sharper than his sword, had to pierce their hearts to bring the place where that word was of such that it made a different lives. And then the Lord began to display more of his power. So now, as a result of that, we mentioned and then we begin to see uh, new births occurring, new lives, people coming to the Lord and, and desiring him like they've never desired him before. But it can only happen if we are willing to be dealt with by God. We're willing to allow God to touch us in areas uh, of, I would say, areas of our vulnerability, areas that we probably would have shied away from in the past. The, the Bible says, understand, we talked about the nakedness of Adam and Eve. They were naked and unashamed. They were vulnerable to one another. They were unguarded, transparent. And as a result of that, out of their transparency, we begin to see intimacy. Into me I see. Into me you see. He said they were brought to the place of intimacy. They knew. And, and here's what happens they were naked and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. Were they aware of their nakedness? Were they aware of their nakedness? Were they aware of their transparency? Yes, they were aware, but something had not been introduced to their experience, and it's called shame. They were naked but they were unashamed. In other words, they were not ashamed in front of one another. But not only that, they were not ashamed before God. 
So in other words, they're exposing themselves to God, exposing themselves to one another, and understand that transparency was something that could be transferable to others because what I've come to know of God, I'm conveying it to others. So there's nothing resisting me from sharing what God has placed upon my heart. But then the Bible says, after they, after they ate of the forbidden fruit, understand it says, then they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. Now, what's the difference? Here they were naked and unashamed. But now they knew that they were, you see, they were more aware of their own nakedness than awareness of his presence. I hope you're hearing me. They were more aware of their own nakedness than they were of God's presence. The thing that they were, I would say, I would say it became a, a, a phobia. It was something that they had a fixation upon was their own nakedness rather than the presence of God. Thus, but here's the tragedy of it all. If that be the case, then what are they going to reproduce? They're going to reproduce that same phobia so that now their offsprings will reproduce that awareness that they have. Breeding fears and phobias. Godly influence was destroyed and godly wisdom in their eyes was reduced to superstition. And that's what's happening in our generation. You talk about the real truth of God, people see that as superstition. But when it comes to uh, other things, you see, that, that we got to take care of ourselves. We need to cover ourselves. There are things that, you see, this could happen, that could happen, the other thing could happen. So people are so busy trying to take care of themselves and protect themselves that they become unaware of God who cares for them. You see, they can't see God anymore. But what are they saying? They said, I got to take care. And, and then when you talk about God caring, it's pretty much like, oh, that's superstition. Let's deal with the real world. Let's deal with reality. Let's deal with where we really live. And that's where a lot of people are today. So that's what happens. Their eyes were open. Their eyes were open. And, 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 and now shame was generated. When the truth is ultimately, ultimately revealed, then what happens as a contrast between what is, this is, this is very carefully, when the truth is finally given to them, when you finally hear gospel, the word of God, then a contrast is made between what, what is and what could have been. Did you hear me? It's what is. This is where I am. But then when the truth comes, God said, well, this is what could have been if you had allowed me to give direction to the course of your life. It didn't have to be this way. It, you didn't, you see, the things that you're dealing with, he said, those things were needless, but they happened because you wouldn't listen to me. So he says that, so, so now what God does, he begins to reveal or expose to us the possibility and the potential for greatness that resides in each and every one of you. He said, greatness resides within you. He said, but you settled for something far less 
than that which I would have given you because now you're too busy looking at yourself and at your own needs rather than seeing me for who I am and knowing how much I really love you. The Bible says, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus saying, whoever believes in me shall not be put to shame. He said, if you believe in me, he said, I'm not going to put you to shame. He said, but if you don't believe in me, the time will come when I expose your nakedness. You will begin to understand that all the things that you have tried to cover your life with were merely fig leaves. It's only fig leaves. You say you thought you were covering yourself. You thought you were protecting yourself. You thought that you had secured your life so that now you are doing everything in your own strength so that you're not exposed. But when the Lord shows up, when the Son of Righteousness shows up and begins to shine, He dries up those fig leaves and begin to say that that which you have provided for yourself cannot withstand in the day of God's judgment. So now, this is what the Lord wants to do. He wants to touch the touch of God. He wants to touch you in the areas of your vulnerabilities. He exposes, he uncovers, you see, expose, uncovers uh, our nakedness. He brings us to a place, he says, well, I already know where you are. You see, and when, when we're exposed on our own, then we don't trust anybody. We can't depend upon anybody. We become self-conscious. We begin to take the path of least resistance. But then Jesus shows up. This is going to get to the Lord. He says here in Hebrews 4.25, the Lord in essence is saying, I understand. I mentioned that a few days ago. The Lord is saying, I understand how you think, the way you feel, and the like. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot be, listen to his word now, who cannot be touched, who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now we look at the touch of God, the hand of God. He said, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but at all points we're tempted like as we are yet without sin. So in other words, it says that the enemy couldn't touch him, but the infirmities that we carry as a result of the enemy's attempt to manipulate us. He said, it touches his heart. It moves God to know the things that you go through as a result of the pressure that's been brought to bear against you. He says, he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He said, because he was tempted at all points, yet without sin. He says, and, and, and as a result of it, he says, so when the enemy comes in, in order to, to manipulate you, the Lord says, I can see how that kind of thing could have occurred within your life. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something now. Before we were saved, the enemy's hand was on, he, was, he had all of us. He had all of us. We were under the influence of the devil. We were, I know you don't like to admit it. We were under the influence of the devil. The devil had us. He had us. You, you see, he had us. And, and, and understand that he had us in such a way that we did what we thought we wanted to do, the way we wanted to do it, how we wanted to do it, because uh, we just, we're our own person, our own, doing our own thing. And it made sense to us. 
I like that poem, uh, that song by John Newton. Uh, in fact, it's part of Amazing Grace. But he says, in, long, in evil long I took delight, unwed by, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. He said, something arrested me when I was doing my own thing. And what it was, it was the genuine touch of God and his love. God, in other words, God says, he says, I've touched you. Now, we understand something, and I, I, I want you to understand something of the touch of God here. God says, he says, you look at what God has given. Look at what God has provided. He said, but my reason for touching your life, so I've made it that you may be in sync with the whole of my creation, that you may be transformed, that you may be completely reconciled, not just judiciously, but practically uh, brought to a place of being in alignment with me, so that your conduct also may be reconciled. So Jesus, here's how Jesus did it now. Here's how he got ready to touch them. He touched them, first of all, with the invitation. This is the Lord touching. Jesus comes on the scene and he says to those future disciples, he says, follow me. Follow me. What he did, Jesus had entered into their world that they may enter into his world. So he says, follow me. Follow me. Come to me. He says in one instance, come to me. All you who are weary and are heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. I invite you to come to me. Then he says, follow me. He says, follow me and you will be transformed. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So understand what he's saying here. Come to me. Follow me. He said, I'm bringing you to a place. Understand, if you follow me, you're in transition. You are transit in transition. You are moving from one place to another. You see, this, this is love in action, not passive. Love is an active word. It provokes one to act. Look at what happened. Follow me and I'll make you fishers men. This is really a love uh, uh, invitation to us. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Remember in the Song of Solomon, in the fourth chapter, seventh verse, he says, you are all fair, my love, and there's no spot in you. He says, come with me from Lebanon, <clears throat> my spouse with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Sinar and Hermon. And he talks about, in other words, he said, come with me, come with me, go where I'm going. That's the invitation. That's what the Lord, follow me. He says, I'm taking you where I'm going. He says, he says, and if you come, it, it will give expression to the new person. You, you will become a new person, and you'll be posturing, give expression to the new person that you become. You see, see, God, you see, God is really wanting to show us who he really is. He says, I'm going to expose myself to you. I'm going to show you who I really am. So now, understanding something of the touch of God, God began to say that my touch within your life is transformative. Fits uh, for a few minutes, look at this. I know we all some of the time. In Mark chapter 7, uh, Mark chapter 5 rather, and verse 25, we begin to see a woman who the Lord, who touched the Lord. And, and, and it says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. 
and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all, let, let's tell the story. All these years, this blood was still flowing. And then what happened, this woman had the audacity to touch the Lord's garment. She touched his garment. She pressed through the crowd and touched his garment. When she touched his garment, look at what the Lord said. She touched his clothes. But look at what the Lord said. Who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched me? Wait a minute now. What do you mean? You didn't, she didn't touch Jesus. She touched his clothes. But what happened, it go back to, we have not a high priest who is not moved by the feelings of our infirmities, but at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It said it moved the heart of Jesus as a result of her desire and passion to press beyond her situation to touch the hem of his garment. He said, who touched me? Who touched me? And then uh, they said, well, look around, all these folk pressing. It could be a number of folk that could have touched you. She said, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. Somebody touched me. Somebody got through to me. Somebody got through to me. And then when, 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 when uh, she finally came to, he said, uh, she looked around and to see her who had done this thing, but the woman fearing, she was scared. She was trembling. Uh, no, she didn't know what's going to happen, so she fell down before him. And he said, daughter, let me tell you something. Since you touched me, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace and be healed from your affliction because you got through to me. You got through to me. So, so now you understand the touch of Jesus. We understand the Bible talks about the hand of the Lord was upon me. He carried me from one place to another. Understand something about the touch. And, and, and then we look further on. This woman touched the Lord. But then we begin to see where Thomas was one that uh, uh, was a doubter. We preached on that a few weeks ago. He was a doubter. And he said, unless I see the nail print in his hands and I see uh, the, 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 the thorn, see, see the situation decide, I won't believe. So then the Lord said to him, he said, now I want you to reach your finger in here and look at my hand and reach here and uh, your hand here and put, put it into my side. He said, I want you to believe and stop disbelieving. So, so understand, he said, touch me so that you might believe. But then, right after that, you go down, uh, well, well, I would say even before that, before that, you begin to see where it was uh, 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 Mary wanted to touch him. In, in, in the 17th verse of the same chapter, Mary wanted to touch him, and Jesus said, touch me not. Touch me not, because I've not ascended to my Father. I begin to wonder, what's the difference between uh, verse 17 and verse 27. Here you're inviting Thomas to touch you, but you just told Mary not to touch you. But I began looking to that. What he was really saying to Mary Magdalene, he said, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me, for I've not ascended to my Father. That was a different kind of touch. He said, one is clinging to me, 
and the other is just a gentle touch. He said, so now, understand it. He said, it ain't time for you to cling to me yet. Because once I've ascended to Father, then when I come, when the Holy Spirit comes, then I will be in you. I'll be with you and in you. He said, and then wherever you go, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. He said, but ain't time for the clinging yet. But Thomas, since you're disbelieving, you can at least touch me. So, so, so now he is saying that it's okay as we begin to touch him, to touch him. So, so understand something of touching. Uh, uh, this is what he says, and, and we begin to look at how even laying hands on individuals, the reason that we lay hands on, because there's a transference of anointing. What is that? God is saying that what I want to do is transfer the anointing from one person to another. So we lay hands on an individual. What is he saying here? He said, that which I receive from the Lord, I am conveying it unto you. So there's something about the touch. There's something about the touch that's very significant. That's very significant. But, but then what happens when we've been touched by the Lord, when we've been touched by the Lord, embraced by him, look at what happens here. It says something about us in relation to who else, who else can touch us. Because John, 1 John 5, 28 says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of, of, of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. He said, so the devil, the devil can't touch you. Remember he told Job, he told Job, you can take all the stuff, but you can't touch him. He said, you can take, I won't let him touch you. You see, I would not let him touch your soul. Whatever is going on. Now, understand what God is really saying to us. He is saying, out of all the things and experiences we have in life, once we've come, we're born of God. Here's the enemy. He's trying to say, as it was beforehand, he used to belong to me. I want to touch him. I want to handle him. I want to handle him. But the Lord has said, no, no, I'm holding you in the palm of my hands. I, I'm protecting you. I, I'm, I'm guarding you. I'm safeguarding you so that all the stuff that's taking place around you can none of that stuff really touch you. It can't touch you. It can't touch you. It can take, it can take this around you, and it can affect things that's happening with you and uh, around you. He said, but understand, when you're really in the things of God. He said, he said, I won't let him. You see, you have angels, you have protection, that which safeguard you from being touched by the wicked one. He said, you used to belong to me. He said, but that's how it used to be. He said, now you're mine. The Lord says, now you're mine. So now, what are we saying? And I'm closing. God is saying, what am I going to do in your lives? He says, I am, my desire is to touch you and for my hand to be upon your life. I want the, the Lord is saying, I want my hand to be upon you. This, this all is a display of that intimacy that exists between us and the Lord. I liked the song you sang early on. This is what the Lord said as they were following him. 
Then it goes on to say, and the Lord breathed on them. He breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. When he breathed on them, he is saying, uh, it's pretty much, he said, my breath now is being dispensed to you. Now receive the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the end of it. He says, we said, well, that, he said, now you receive of the Holy Spirit. He said, but later on, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This was the initial entry of the Holy Spirit. But then he says, but now you're going to be baptized in the Spirit later on. He says, but understand what he's saying now. He says, when all of this has occurred, when I have ascended to the Father, I will send you another helper. He said, and now the Spirit of the Father and the Son, it will be the Son that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit will empower you to engage in the work to which you've been assigned. So God brings us to that place of intimacy. We must guard it. We must guard it. We must protect it. Let me just give you my own story. Whenever, you see, I have to always remember and be reminded you don't want anything to, 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 to rob you of that anointing that's upon your life. You don't want anything to rob you. You see, that, that, there's a covering of grace that's upon each and every one of us when you walk in the things of God. You're covered by the grace of God. And you don't want anything to rob you. When, when we walk outside of the covering of God's grace, and we're vulnerable to the enemy. That's why he says you, 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 you don't want to engage in things and activities that's against God. Because what happens, you won't even think the same way any longer. You won't even think the same way. You won't feel the same way that you once felt about the things of God. You see, there, there's, a, there's a cloud that you walk under and you don't even realize it when you step outside of the will of God. But when you walk in the will of God, even though situations, circumstances might not be as you would like for them to be, but understand, there's an assurance, and can't anybody rob you of it. There's an assurance that there's a confidence that you have, that you won't realize how strong that confidence is and how much confidence you have unless it's removed from you. And you know what? And God continues to take you deeper and deeper from faith to faith, grace to grace, from glory to glory. So, Father, we thank you so much for your hand being upon us. May we understand, Lord, what this really means, that we are brought to this place, Lord, where we're not alone, but we can feel your presence. And that's the point, too, Lord, that we can feel your presence. It is not just a matter of hearing that you're with us, but, Lord, we feel your presence as well. And, Lord, we thank you that we have a love that we can feel, Beloved, Lord, that we can be assured of because, Lord, you're here to assure us that you're with us and that you're working in us. So I pray, Lord, even as we spoke earlier about souls being saved, that people will feel the message, that they will know, Lord, that you're speaking life into us, that your desire is to Draw us closer and closer to yourself. So we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for who you are. And Lord, in this, may our lives be productive as we continue to trust you 
with our entire lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.